Father's Day is a wonderful time, isn't it? Especially if you're a dad. It is a day that I remember my dad. It's one of those bittersweet days because my dad is not here now. He is with the Lord, has been for a number of years. But the memories are still here. Everything he taught me is still here. And so it's one of those days that we can stop and say thank you to our earthly fathers. And some of you had amazing dads. Some of you uh, didn't have as good of a dad. Some of you didn't have a dad. But the wonderful thing about God and the wonderful thing about the word of God is he hasn't left you. He hasn't abandoned you. He is a good father. He is the model father, a father that all of us should be working towards and ascribing to. And we need to be in prayer for dads. I think dads have it as hard as they've ever had it here in the United States. It's tough to be a dad, but uh, it's possible because we have the Heavenly Father to guide us and help us and to encourage us. What I want to do today as we talk about how much does our Father love us, I thought it was, it was wonderful to come across stories of real people that wrote little tributes about their dad. One woman named Sarah wrote this, Although my dad worked crazy hard when we were little, when he was off, he was totally ours taking us hiking, biking, riding, horseback riding, and was a captive audience attending our pretend schools and churches or letting us put a thousand little barrettes in his hair while he was watching the news. Oh, I remember those times. I'm going to say probably not fondly, but it's fun, isn't it? It's fun. And that was her recollection of dad. Uh, a person named Sam writes this, there is so much to love about my dad, but I think what I love most is his silly sense of humor. I still remember him answering the phone at our house by saying, Domino's pizza. The person on the other line was inevitably confused, sometimes hung up, and he laughed hysterically every single time. When I read that, I remembered my dad's silliness, some of you will be shocked that he would do something like this. He would answer the phone. I don't even know why or how this started, but he would say, Barney's Mule Barn. And then he made it a little fancier. He would say, Mule Parts by Barney. And he would say, we have hooves, we have hearts, we have triple D meat which was dead, dying, diseased. I mean, where do you, how do you come up with something like that? And it was normally one of us, Julie or me or somebody calling him, and we would chuckle and see how long this would continue to go on. But every now and then, he would accidentally do it to someone uh, other than us. And it was really funny to hear the stuttering on the other line. Mule parts, mule parts. Who wants mule parts? I definitely got the wrong number. I want to look at the Word of God, and I want to use Proverbs 3.12 as a jumping point because I think this verse, 
this wisdom principle helps us connect our heavenly father with our earthly father. There's a, there's a correlation here that I want you to really get and zoom in on this real connection between a father and the father. It says, for whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth. Even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. You have the Lord. You have the heavenly father that does that with us, his children. And you say, well, how is that a good dad? A dad that chastens his kids. If you love your children, you will correct them. It's unloving to not correct them. Now, we have to do this. From a platform of love. Your children need to know for sure that you are doing this out of love. That you are doing this because you care about them. And you want to see them not harm themselves and not harm other people. Because those behaviors that they have exhibited are behaviors that are of our old nature, of our fleshly nature. And if we continue to let those operate in our lives, it will harm us and it will hurt other people. Dads should love their kids enough to say that is not going to happen in our house. But you have to do that from the framework of love. They have to know that you, that you care about them and that you are attentive to them. And yeah, you have to work and you have to provide and you have to protect, but you have to be a parent that uh, focuses on them. We have a real problem in our society, a bankruptcy of fathers who are like the Lord. And I've given you the statistics before, and let me repeat them again, especially the first and the third from the National Center of Health Statistics. The first one is fatherless daughters are 111% more likely to have children as teenagers. That's profound. Fatherless daughters have a 92% higher divorce rate than girls with dads in the home. Fatherless sons are 300% more likely to become incarcerated in state juvenile institutions. That's unbelievable. Fatherless, uh, the fatherless make up 70% of all juveniles in state institutions. Fatherless children are twice as likely to drop out of high school. Fatherless children are anywhere from 100 to 200% more likely to have emotional and behavioral problems. Most people have the wrong image of God. We need to properly understand our heavenly fathers so that we can have good earthly fathers. We sometimes think of God as some impersonal force. A, a force that, that created the universe but out there somewhere and is unknowable or we, we're almost emotionless. It's, it's this idea of an impersonal force as God. Some people, though, have a misconception of God. They think of God as a tyrant, one who is out to, to enslave us or to put us in bondage, in bondage of fear. Some people think of God as a harsh judge, one that just can't wait to mete out sentences for every wrong thing that you do. And then some people think of God as a, a spoiling father, one that just wants to, to give and give and give with no consequences and, and with, without uh, any concern about how this uh, giving them everything that they want may actually harm them. 
All of those are misconceptions of God. How do we know what our heavenly father is like and how do we know what earthly fathers should be like? Well, we go to scripture and we're going to be spending some time today in Luke chapter 15, a parable of, we call this the prodigal son. But before we go to that, let me give you a passage in 1 John chapter 3. The Bible gives us a very different picture of what God is like. He's not impersonal. He's not just a force in the universe. He isn't a tyrant. He isn't wanting to enslave you. He doesn't want you to be uh, scared of him and, and always fearful of him. He isn't a harsh judge just waiting to, to give you a sentence for every wrong thing that you do. Nor is he a father that is going to spoil you without regard to those things that he's giving you that might actually harm you. So what is God like? Well, the Bible paints a very important picture of what God is like. He is a holy God, and we have to remember that. When we think of our Heavenly Father, we have to remember that He is holy. And that's an important aspect of God. He cannot tolerate rebellion. But He's a God that put upon His own Son all of our sins, all of our rebellions. What an amazing God. He can't tolerate it, but he still loves us and our sin separates us from him. Our rebellion separates us from him, but he loves us so much that he put that upon his own son. This is how much our father loves us. First John 3, 1. Behold what manner of love. I love that passage. I love that phrase. What? manner of love. Think about this. It's not just a word. It's not just a card. Love is an action. Behold, behold, look at this. Everybody look at this. Behold, what manner of love the father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called what? The sons of God. And if you are a woman in this crowd Don't be upset that he calls you a son of God. Why? Because the son receives the inheritance. We are sons of God. Those that have put their trust in him, in Jesus Christ. We have this this wonderful uh, adoptive God that has brought us literally into his family. We're born into his family and we are sons of God. What manner of love is that? That we should be called sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now we are the sons of God. You know, some people are wondering if if I've received by faith Jesus and I'm saved. Can I lose that? Can I become unborn? Can I be kicked out of the family? Well, listen, there have been times when I was raising Amy and Erica that they probably wish they weren't my children anymore. And there are also times that I may have, may have, in the back of my mind, wished that they weren't my children anymore, maybe. But, but at the end of the day, they would always be my children. Whether either of us liked it or not. Why? Because we were born. They were born into our family. We are born into God's family. 
We are. We, now we are the sons of God. That puts to rest that worry that he's going to kick you out if you misstep, that you mess up. Not to say we should, no. Because every time that we sin against him, we are moving away from him in fellowship. And if we love him and he loves us, we should be as close as we can. Just like you want to have that closeness with your earthly father. We are sons of God and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. For we know that when he shall appear, this is when Jesus comes back, we shall be like him. Oh, that'll be a glorious day. Glorious day. We shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. Think about the love of God. Think about the fact that we're called sons of God. Think about the fact that we can say, Abba, we are sitting in Israel. Sometimes I just like to sit and absorb the culture and the, and the families uh, walking around the streets of Jerusalem. And I see moms and dads and children, families. And I hear the children, I don't know Hebrew, but I know this word, Abba, 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 Abba. I love that. And the Jewish children say Abba. And the Arab children say Abba. And you can say Abba. Our Heavenly Father, Daddy, what love of the Father. There's two big things I want you to remember today. If you don't remember anything else, think of these two things. Number one, our Heavenly Father runs toward us. You say, what in the world does that mean? Let's look at Luke chapter 15. Jesus is giving a story, a parable. This is one of the three lost parables. Not that he lost them, but in the parable, somebody lost something. There were the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. This is the lost son. In Luke 15, verse 11, Jesus is speaking to a mixed crowd. The whole crowd were sinners, but one group knew they were. They were called publicans and sinners. And there was another group in the crowd that were, but they didn't realize it. They were called Pharisees, the religious people of the land. They were religious. They were seeking to look good, but they were far from God. They were there not because they loved God, but because they loved what religion would give them, give them a certain power or superiority over the others. And Jesus was wanting to share with them how important it is to God when a sinner comes home. That's why Jesus went to earth to bring the lost to himself. And this story illustrates it so beautifully because there were two sons that a certain man had, Luke 15, 11. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. Now you might just read those words and it might not really impact you, but let me have you just for a moment think about what that meant. It would be like your son coming to you and saying, I wish you were dead. You say, well, it doesn't say that. Yeah, but if you go to dad and want your inheritance that you're supposed to get after he dies, what are you saying? I wish you were dead. 
Now, this dad gives the son what he wants. Let me just give you a warning. Be careful what you ask your heavenly father for. Okay? He may give you something that isn't good for you because you're insisting so that you'll learn a lesson. And here is this dad. He divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. Think about the father. Think about how, how hard this would have been on him. When a son or daughter rebel and they go their own way and they, they don't care about the way that, that you've taught them to live, it's got to be excruciating on the parent. Some of the hardest things for a parent to do is to let them go and let them go experience the world of hard knocks. Not to say that's the only way to learn. Hopefully they can learn from you teaching them the principles in the word of God, the, the parables of Jesus. But at the end of the day, each child is their own person. You can't live the Christian life for them. You pray for them, you instruct them, you guide them in every way that you can. But if they decide to go their own way, Maybe you'll have to let them go. Care about them. Pray for them. Make sure they know that you love them. But the father let them go. And he took everything and he went away in a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. We see that today, don't we? And all young people that are part of the party scene eventually It comes and it hits them hard, doesn't it? After a while, they realize that that those that act like they like them only like them for what they give them. And once that money runs out, you have no friends anymore. That, That lifestyle is empty. It looks great. It looks wonderful. But at the end of the day, you come up empty. You don't even have anything left. And that's exactly what happened here with this, we call the prodigal son. Verse 14, and when he had spent all, can you imagine blowing it all so quickly? And that's what happens. There arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Now, Jesus, again, is telling the story to a crowd of sinners, publicans, which were kind of the traitors of the Jewish people who were working for Rome and collecting taxes, and many of them were very unfair. So this was one group, and then you have the religious. He's talking about the two sons, okay? The two sons of the Jewish people. You had the ones that knew they were sinners, and you had the other group that were holier than thou. Both were wrong. So he ran out of money. There's a famine in land. He begins to be in want. And he went, in verse 15, and joined himself to a citizen of that country. Now remember, within the context of Judaism, they left Israel proper and they went to a Gentile area, right? And uh, he basically joined himself to the citizen of that country, which would have been a Gentile. And he sent him... So he was so desperate, he was just going to work for anybody and do anything. He sent them into the fields to feed swine. You cannot take a lower job if you're Jewish than to feed swine. That's one of the things that we develop when you go to Israel is a yearning for bacon. 
They don't have a lot of that on the breakfast buffets. Actually, they don't have any of that. But can you imagine uh, getting to the bottom and you're actually feeding the pigs, the, the despised creature within Judaism? We were able to go and film at the Shiloh Tell, which is where Israel was a capital, the capital of the nation of Israel for over 300 years. The tabernacle was there, and there was another four weeks of digging, and some of you in our church went to volunteer, and we always go on the fourth week of the dig. We always go on the last day of the fourth week. Why? Because that's when you found everything you're going to find for the season. And we were sitting down to interview a zoo archaeologist. They, they've always used zoo archaeologists on the dig because they have a lot of bones they find of animals, and they usually use one that's off-site that would later, later analyze and study. But this year, they brought in from the University of Manitoba a zoo archaeologist, and I sat down with him, and I asked him a question for Ingrace. I said, how many pig bones did you find in this pile, this massive pile of animal bones? He said, Very little. Very little. You're just not going to find that there. They did find, and I believe this was a, it's called a favisa, which is a holy deposit. They did find within this, and we've reported on this in previous years, more gold. And very beautiful uh, vessels that they found. Broken, but still all the pieces. It was as if somebody had brought a drink offering to the Lord into that favisa and broke it. And the jewelry was them bringing an item to the Lord and leaving it there. They say when they do digs around the world, but in Israel especially, it's rare to find gold. Some archaeologists go their whole career and never find gold. In this one spot at Shiloh, in two years, they found four items of gold. So it's like this is a very special place. One of the exciting things going on in Israel right now. And there he was feeding swine. And he would have fain or desired to have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. Have any of you ever seen pigs eating? I'm not talking about your kids. I'm not talking about your husband. I, I know. I know. I get, I get the looks. I used to get them from my mother. And then Karen takes over. In that department. Hey, when guys are hungry, we're hungry, okay? But it's disgusting what pigs eat. It's absolutely awful. He was so hungry that he got to the bottom. He's at the bottom. He's eating the food that the pigs are eating. And no man gave unto him. And when he came unto himself, that's a beautiful moment in life. When you come to yourself and you think, what am I doing? What am I doing? Am I, am I satisfied with eating the pig's food? Don't ever be satisfied with that. He came to himself and he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to, and to spare and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, father... These are three very important words that you need to learn and use whenever appropriate. I have sinned. I have sinned against heaven and before thee. By the way, when we sin against our parents, when we sin against other people, we're sinning against heaven. Why? Because 
when we aren't treating our parents the way that God wants us to, and we're not treating our neighbors and our friends the way God wants us to, we're sinning against God. And we're sinning against the other people. I sinned against heaven and before thee, 19, and am and no more worthy to be called thy son. That's the proper attitude. Now, that's not what God thinks, as we're going to see in a minute, but that's the right humble attitude we should come to God with. I'm not worthy to be called thy son. Make me one of thy hired servants. And so the dad arose and made him a hired servant. And we can pray and dismiss, but if you're not reading your Bible, you're, you know that I just misquoted scripture. Are you all paying attention? Are you all, are you all reading the same Bible I am? That's not what it says. And he arose and came to his father, but uh, when he was afar off, here's what happened. This is amazing. Okay. The father ran all the way to his son. He was a great way off. Verse 20. His father saw him and had compassion and ran. Now, let's stop and just think about this for a second. The father ran. Why? Is that profound? Because in that culture, a man of wealth, a man of position, doesn't run. I've actually learned that in my life. I don't run unless I'm being chased. Amen? Some of you run. I don't understand you. <laughs> but, but this would have been un, un, unheard of. The father, with his robe, with his dignity, with his wealth, doesn't run. And the father ran and fell upon his son's neck and kissed him. And the son said those words that he had rehearsed. Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, bring the breast robe, put it on him. Bring a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Think about that. Think about the joy of the father when the son comes home. And that's the picture of our heavenly father. He's running. He's running. Now, there's another son, and we don't have time to cover that today, but let me give you that homework to do. Continue to read this parable and see the other son. This was the other group of people. The first son was the group of sinners. The other son are the ones that think they're okay. They think they're holy, but actually, they're actually farther from the father than the one that ran away and came back. So the heavenly father, that's our God. He's a God of love. He's yearning to, to restore fellowship with us. And get, we have to remember that about God. Our heavenly father runs toward us. And that brings us to our second important point. Don't miss this one. Earthly fathers need to run towards their children. The Bible tells us how to be compassionate as, as fathers. That's usually one of the attributes that fathers sometimes miss 
is compassion. We need to be yearning to be with our children and to help them and to train them. Why? Because they're a heritage. Look at Psalm 127.3. Low children are a heritage or an heirloom, something that is given to us and we are to take it and protect it and keep it and pass it on. Our children are a heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the womb is his reward. And then look at Proverbs 13, 24. He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes or earnestly and often. Not to say we are to be only there to, to chasten our children and that's all we care about. No, but when, it, when, when the time comes, we need to be ready to do that. Don't listen to the culture. Don't listen to the psychiatrists, the psychologists. The Bible says it. Do it. Children often, when, when necessary, need a good spanking. God gave kids a perfect place for this. Where they're going to feel little pain. I would call it temporary pain to avoid permanent pain. Okay? When, they, when you tell them not to run out into the road... And they do that? Are you going to just let them do it? Are you going to teach them this? I love you so much that I'm not going to let you just do that and be wild and, and eventually hurt yourself. One of the things in Israel that really scared me was walking on this road and they have this uh, light rail uh, that runs right on the road. And there aren't any guards or anything. It just comes along and it's quiet, it's electric, and it, it rings a little bell like a ding ding. But uh, a lot of kids... Think it, I don't know, I think that's the ice cream truck, I guess, that ding, ding. And I can just see one of the kids, I didn't, but I can just imagine one of the kids go dart off in front of that thing. And that thing really worries me. Are you going to let your kids just run off and, and act any way they want to and uh, cause a scene and rebel and you tell them what to do, they don't do it, and you tell them again, and you tell them again, and they tell them again? You should have to tell your children one time what you want them to do. Now be reasonable. Why? Because in Ephesians 6, 4, it says, and ye fathers provoke not your children to wrath. What does that mean? That means make sure that what you're, you're uh, teaching them, you're also showing them. Okay? You're not gonna, you're not gonna provoke them to wrath, but it says bring them up in the nurture, which means in training or in education, and in the admonition, which is the idea of rebuke and warning. You have to have all of these things. Okay, of the Lord. I heard that dads spend an average of 38 seconds a day talking to their children. Now, there's no way that that's true, is it? Is there? Well, let's make sure that that is not true in our own lives. How do we increase that time? Well, the number one thing that I would tell dads is to put down the device, (laughs) It's hard, isn't it? Especially if you, if you uh, work and, and you get a lot of important things coming in and, and uh, you, you're checking it all the time. Here's what you probably need to do. At a certain point of the day after you get home, you need to put that somewhere. Put that somewhere. And then not allow that device to, to, to divert your focus on your kids. I see it all the time. Here's another important principle for dads. Have meals with your kids. Now, a lot of families are busy. I understand that. But maybe there are some things you don't need to be doing. Maybe you can spend more time with them at a table. Why is a table important? Because that's where you fellowship. 
We are walking on a road that Jesus walked. We call it the road to Emmaus. I've never been on this road, but there's an actual road from Jerusalem west to a town that was called Emmaus. Now, you remember the story. This was on the day that Jesus rose again. He had appeared to several people. Two of his disciples were walking on this road away from Jerusalem toward Emmaus, and suddenly a third person joins them. They had been walking and they had been talking about the Lord and about how he had had come and done these miracles, but then he was killed. And then now some people are saying he was resurrected and they were so confused and they were talking in earnest. And this third person comes and starts talking with them. And they said to him, are you a stranger in Jerusalem? Have you not heard all the things that have just transpired? Of course, somehow they didn't recognize that this was Jesus himself. And as they were walking, Jesus begins to explain all the the prophets and all the predictions and how Jesus would fulfill, the Messiah would fulfill all these things. And they came to the end and they went into a house and they asked Jesus to sit down and he did and they had a meal together. And when Jesus broke bread, they suddenly realized this was Jesus. This was Jesus. And then he disappeared. What's the point? The point is the Lord wants fellowship. What's one of the best places to fellowship? I found it is at a meal because you're enjoying not just whatever the food is, but you're enjoying the company, the stories, the fellowship, being there, communicating. Do that with your kids. Find ways to accomplish that. Have meals together. Number three, help them with the things they need help with. It's their homework. You say, oh, I'm, I'm bad at math. Well, get good at math. You know, if you're expecting them to do it, you should be able to do it too, right? You learned it once, relearn it. Help them with their homework. That's one of those things that I tried to do. Karen was much better at it. She had more patience than I did. Um, I didn't want our kids to always just memorize answers. I wanted them to like understand the principles behind the question, but they just wanted to memorize the answers and get done with this, you know? But help them uh, when they need the help. Give them the attention they need. I think it's important to go on walks with your kids. Sometimes you need to take one kid at a time. And just walk. Why go on walks? Because what else are you going to do on walks, right? You're going to talk. Talking is the key. Having that fellowship, that that one-on-one time. They're not going to be as uh, remembering like that, that grand expensive vacation that you took them on. They're going to remember those little things. When you allowed them to put barrettes in your hair, they're going to remember those things. Have fun with them. Tuck them into bed at night. Pray with them. That's one of those things that I always took the time to do. Every night that I was home, I would take the time to be with them. We would, we would laugh. I had something we called animal kisses where I would say, okay, what animal do you want? And they'd pick some animal and I'd pretend to be the animal and give them their good night kiss and then pray with them. Pray with them. Do that. Teach them the scriptures. And not just like in a family devotional time, which you can do that, but I think it's more important to have you, you're able to teach the scriptures with them in real life moments. As, as something comes across a video that you're watching together and, and it's something that's, it's opposed to God and, and media is really good at kind of putting those things out there. And you stop and you explain why that is against God. Teaching them all the time. Make sure they respect. Make sure that they respect mom. 
Do not ever let your, especially your sons, disrespect mom. Make sure that you teach them to respect mom and to respect women if they're boys. So these are some little tips that I thought of and I thought it would be nice to uh, remind dads about. Now, sometimes you get busy and uh, it just, it gets hard. And I understand that. I truly do. And I came across the story of a man who was working on a doctoral degree. Now, uh, that's about as busy as you're ever going to get if you're in a doctoral study program. And a man that was so busy on the final stages of his doctoral degree program wrote the following about how he had gotten so busy without even realizing it, he basically drew himself out of his family. He wrote this. I was sitting in my favorite chair studying when my daughter Sarah announced herself in my presence with a question. Daddy, do you want to see my family picture? Sarah, daddy's busy. Come back in a little while, honey. Ten minutes later, she swept back into the living room. Daddy, let me show you my picture. The heat went up around my collar, he said. Sarah, I said, come back later. This is important. Three minutes later, she stormed into the living room, got three inches from my nose, and barked with all the power of a five-year-old could muster, do you want to see my picture or not? And he said, no. No, I don't. With that, she zoomed out of the room and left me alone. Somehow, he wrote, being alone at that moment wasn't as satisfying as I thought it would be. I felt like a jerk. I went to the front door. Sarah, I called. Could you come back inside for a minute, please? Daddy would like to see your picture. She obliged and popped up on my lap. It was a great picture. She'd even given it a title. Across the top in her best printing, she had inscribed, Our Family Best. Tell me about it, I said. Here is Mommy. Mommy was a stick figure with long yellow curly hair. Here is me standing by mommy with a smiley face. Here is our dog, Katie. And here is Missy, her little sister. I love your picture, honey, I told her. I'll hang it in the dining room wall. And each night when I come home from work and from class, I'll look at it. She took me at my word, beamed ear to ear, and went outside to play. I went back to my books. Something was making me uneasy. Something about Sarah's picture. Something was missing. I went to the front door. Sarah, can you come back inside for a minute, please? I want to look at your picture again. Sarah crawled back into my lap. I can close my eyes right now and see the way she looked. Cheeks rosy from playing outside. Pigtails, strawberry shortcake, tennis shoes. I asked my little girl a question, but wasn't sure I wanted to hear the answer. Honey, there's mommy and Sarah and Missy and Katie the dog and the sun and the house and the squirrels and the birdies. But Sarah, where is your daddy? She said these haunting words, you're at the library. Don't draw yourself out of your children's lives. By being busy. And I know sometimes it's hard and you have to make ends meet and you work hard and and all of that. I get that. But you still have to make sure you have a priority. And your priority is to parent 
to love your wife, to love your children, to spend time with them, to focus on them, to not push them away, to make sure you're accessible and they know for sure how much you love them. Let me end with a a prayer. This was a prayer that was written by a famous missionary to India, Amy Carmichael. She wrote this, Father, hear us. We are praying. Hear the words our hearts are saying. We are praying for our children. Keep them from the powers of evil, from the secret hidden peril. Father, hear us for our children. From the worldling's hollow gladness, from the sting of faithless sadness. Father, Father, keep our children. Through life's troubled waters, steer them. Through life's bitter battles, cheer them. Father, Father, be thou near them. And whenever they may bide, lead them home at even tide. How much do our, do our children need our prayers? A lot. Pray for your children. We do this. Uh, we still actually do this. We pray for our children as adults. We prayed for them when they were kids. Now we pray for our grandchildren every night. Pray for your children. But how much does your father love you? That's the most important thing is to understand the love of your father. And once you understand that, you're going to be, if you, if you stay close to that loving father, you're going to be the father that God wants you to be. How much does he love us? I remember with our kids, we would say, I love you this much. I love you this much. I love you this much. Jesus loves you this much. Think about that. The love of the father running towards you and be that father to your children. He loves you this much. God, the father saw the world in its rebellion and in its sin. We've gone astray. We've done what we want to do. We don't always care about him. We don't always acknowledge him. We have a misconception about him, but he still loved the world so much that he sent his only son to die for our sins. Entered into humanity 2,000 years ago, a man called Jesus. Jesus, a verified historical figure, Nobody doubts his existence. Nobody doubts that he came and did great things. But he didn't just come to teach you how to live. He came to die for your sins. He came to find the lost son. He came to seek for the sinner to be saved. And he pulled out his arms and allowed the creature to nail him to a cross He was put up on a cross for our sins. Last night, in our final evening in Israel, Friday night rather, we were walking to dinner and I passed a souvenir store in East Jerusalem and it was called Jimmy's. So as I'm passing, I said, Jimmy! And I hear a voice, yeah, how are you? (laughs) I guess that's Jimmy. And uh, he got us to go into his store. He acted like he had known me for years. I don't remember meeting him, but I guess we were really good friends. I'm sure it had nothing to do with selling us olive wood carvings. But I, but I did see an olive wood carving, and I would recommend his store. Um, 
and it was a new one I had never seen before. And it was Jesus embracing a man that had a hammer in his hand. I said, this is interesting. I, what, what is this carving? He said, that's the man that nailed Jesus to the cross. That's the love of God. That's the love of the Father. That's the love we can have for our own children and for our neighbors and our, our friends and our, our spouses. This, this is the love of God. Jesus came and allowed the creature to nail him to a, a piece of wood that he created to hang him up and he suffered and he bled and he died for our sins. They put his body into a grave. They rolled a stone across that. They sealed it to make sure no one came in and took that body. They had a guard outside, a Roman guard. And in three days, nothing that man could do could keep him in that grave. For he rose again the third day and he's alive. And he wants to walk with you. And he wants to fellowship with you. He wants to break bread with you. He wants to help you be a dad that God wants you to be. A mom that God wants you to be. A friend that God wants you to be. And you can do all of those things once you understand the love of the Father. Do you know Jesus? Have you put your faith in him? The Bible says that we've sinned, that we've fallen short of the glory of God, that we don't deserve heaven. And let this be all of us and this be sin. My left hand is you and me. My wallet is our sin. Our sin separates us. My right hand being God, our sin separates us from a holy God. Jesus came, he never sinned, but he was made sin on the cross for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. When we put our trust in Jesus who came and died for our sins on a cross and rose again, when we believe in him, the Bible says that we are now sons of God. Now, sons of God, nothing can take you out of his hand. You say, well, what if, I, what if I'm not the dad I should be? What if I, I, I get angry with my children when I shouldn't and I just don't have the patience and I'm so tired and then they, they want this or that? Hey, we're going to mess up. If you do mess up as a dad, just tell your, your kid, hey, I messed up. You know how far that will go? My dad once admitted to me that he, that he messed up when he, he gave me a, a punishment. I didn't deserve it. I told him I didn't deserve it, but I told him that every time. So, you know, he wasn't listening. And this one time I actually didn't deserve it. And he, he came back and he said he was wrong. He was wrong. Hey, that's a, that's a big thing for a man to say I'm wrong, right? Boy, but that's what, that's what God wants, okay? But when, when, when we do mess up, we're still in the hand of God, okay? And, and we're sons of God and nothing can change that. And if you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ, let me show you this. It's by grace that we're saved through faith in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It's not of ourselves. It is a what? Gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. One of the most important things that we can do when we get home from long trips is see our grandkids. The first thing that they want is not a hug from me. It's a hug from Nana. And the second thing they want is not a hug from me. It's our presence. Not our presence, but our presence. And uh, it's a gift. And we bring them these little things and they love it. It's a gift of God. Salvation is a gift. It's not something you earn. It's not something you pay for. It's not trying to reform your life or be better or give money or, or bat, get baptized. It's a gift. It's to say, I believe that Jesus died for me. I'm receiving a gift called eternal life. Okay? 
It's not of works, lest any man should boast. No one's going to stand in heaven bragging that, that we deserve to be there. We're all going to say, but by the grace of God. But by the grace of God. Have you received that gift? If you haven't, you can do it right now.